from Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, it's your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. This is a very special and unique podcast. We're coming at you from Nashville. We're here for the AOSSM as well as Anna annual meeting. It's our sports medicine meeting. And I think this will be the first time in recorded history that we are going to have a doctor, father, and daughter orthopedic surgeon on for the show, Doctors Redler, Dr. Lauren Redler, as well as Dr. Michael Redler. It is so great to have you both. Scott, thanks so much. And, you know, bringing us down to Nashville for this interview was just terrific of you. And we really do appreciate it. Yeah, the ortho, the ortho show jet picked you right up at the old airport. We were good to go. Lauren, how are you? Thanks so much for having us. This is a pleasure. Oh, it is my pleasure. It's such a unique thing to have uh, two amazing orthopedic surgeons within the same family. I think it's a great story. And we really wanted to be able to tell it. So let's start at the beginning. So, Michael, I think this is important for us to, to see how good of a father you are. But can you please tell us Lauren's APGAR scores at the time of birth? You know, she uh, was an overachiever from the get-go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think her scores were probably 9 out of 10. And she, at that point, asked for a second opinion. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So, obviously, your father's an orthopedic surgeon. And, and Michael's well-known to our show. And we really appreciate you. And one of the most respected orthopedic surgeons in our country for his opinions. And so, at what point, you know... Did, did orthopedics become something that you were considering? Yeah, absolutely. No, I feel lucky and blessed that I had early exposure. I think that's true for a lot of women in orthopedics. I always talk with my med students and, and residents who I mentor that, you know, the women who are in orthopedics usually answer yes to one of the following three questions. Either they had their own injury, they were a high-level athlete, or they had a family member in orthopedics. And I was lucky enough to have two of those three and no, no personal injury myself necessarily. Um, but, you know, on the sidelines of college football games, uh, watching him take care of professional baseball, although I never got to be that involved because I was a woman at that point. Um, but, you know, it was great to see early um, what, what he did and what he enjoyed doing. And I think at a young age, I don't know, you can correct me, Dad, but six or seven, I wanted to be a baby bone doctor. You said it from the get-go, you wanted to be a baby bone doctor. And, and the fact that you could say it three times fast was very <laughs> impressive at that age. <laughs> Such a proud father. I love it. I love it. Um, so did you go to the office? In high school, I did. You know, I started with transcription and helping with filing. And then as a pseudo translator helper in the in the waiting room for patients uh, who spoke Spanish, but definitely got some early exposure on that front as well. That's awesome. I joke around with my two boys. I have 18 year old twins and they're both working for me right now. And they're they're destroying x-rays and uh, old uh, medical records, so they're in charge of logistics for medical records. That'll be their title for their nice. CV for college. But uh, So obviously, uh, you know, what a great thing, right, Michael, to have you know, one of your children sort of emulate what you're doing and, and want to follow in your path. You know, it does bring uh, a warm spot in my heart and basically gives me goosebumps. But, you know, at these meetings, Scott, I've actually learned that it's the ne time for the next generation. And I'll tell you a story. We were at uh, one of the sports medicine meetings a few years ago, and I've given a fair amount of lectures at those meetings, chaired some instructional courses, and Laura and I were standing outside in the hallway, and an orthopedic surgeon from France comes up and says, excuse me, uh, Dr. Redler, I have a question. 
And I, of course, had said, uh, no, not you, her. And, and, fr and frankly, I said, okay, this is how it's going to be. And, but I'm, I'm happy to you know, step back and let her now lead the way. But it was a, uh, it was a quick touch of reality there. So, so I love it. So obviously, you know, the family thing, we got the, the, uh, the official fact checker of the Ortho Show podcast. He'll be listening as we speak. Uh, Heather's shaking her head. She knows for sure. Dr. William Levine. And what, what, tell us about the process of, of that must have been really fascinating going through the residency selection. You know all of these people and they know and then sort of the process and you being independent. Just talk to me about that. I think that must have been really a fascinating process. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Bill Levine has been a mentor for me since I met him as a fourth-year med student when I interviewed at Columbia, and he's the reason that I chose Columbia for residency and the reason that I stayed there on faculty um, and has been a really great um, advocate for me in my career. Yeah, no, and then for you personally, as you're watching and, and, and sort of seeing where, where Lauren was considering going, and you're just in the background, you're just letting it all happen. Listen, she had some uh, terrific choices in terms of where to go, and uh, she went with her heart and ended up being the best possible situation for her. Uh, then she went on to not do one fellowship, but two. Yeah, no, we will get to that. <laughs> you know, that was, uh, again, it was and like... It and it wasn't because you failed the first it one, for sure. Comment. No, okay, good. You know, it, and, and it had nothing to do with the APGAR scores either. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, my, my fun story with Bill Levine always is that, you know, I missed his first major talk. And so he uh, made sure that I knew that his 5 o'clock symposium on the shoulder was yesterday to make sure I didn't accidentally walk <laughs> in. But it's all good once again. All right, so, so again, the consummate underachievers here on the Ortho Show podcast, these amazing people. Uh, you decide you're going to do a, a sports medicine fellowship at HSS, which must have been a remarkable year and experience. Yeah, HSS was really an amazing experience, and you know, there's some uh, strong Columbia alumni connections there and an amazing group of sports medicine surgeons that you couldn't have asked for a better group of, of mentors to help you know, continue my training. And so was it planned for you that you were going to do the Children's Fellowship as well? Did you, was that your, what you were going to do, or how did that evolve? I was really interested in pediatric sports, and I wanted to do that fellowship. Boston Children's is the only fellowship in the country that focuses on pediatric sports. So I had the mentality of, I'm going to go for it, and if I get it, great, and if not, I'll go into practice and I was lucky enough to earn a spot there. And so but did you apply for both simultaneously no, or can you not years. do that? You have to do it consecutive yeah. years. Go through the whole matching process and the whole yeah, thing yeah. once again. And you're like the Jorge Chalas of the world that just keep going <laughs> keep through going. fellowships. I love yeah, it. Yeah, for more punishment. Yeah, no, and Min Coker, Min Coker was just phenomenal, Absolutely. right? What an amazing person to work with. Yeah. My favorite thing, right, Michael, for men is his, uh, is his diagram for adolescents for ACLs about, about the growth plates. He made that perfectly clear for all of us so that you don't have to judge on or guess on that. And just in case I forget about that diagram, I've got an excellent resource to remind me. And it's, <laughs> it's a resource that I use, Scott. No, you know, I, do, you, do you guys talk about cases? Let's talk we about that. We do. That's one of my favorite things. I mean, you have your co-residents. I have four co-residents that also did sports. I have, you know, co-fellows that do sports. But... One of my favorite people to turn to and ask about cases is, is my dad. Yeah, what a cool thing, sort of be able to, to jump on that, uh, that hard drive of, of 25 or 30 years of experience that, uh, that uh, we all cherish for sure. <laughs> and then after you get the advice, then you start competing with, well, how fast did you do that case and how many cases did you do last month? You know, I think that uh, we will <laughs> send x-rays back Yeah, you're, you're at Columbia. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We we, we, we'll send some cases back and forth or ask some advice, and I've referred some patients to Lauren, and I've seen some of her patients who've ended up back in Connecticut. And uh, so it, it, it's a fun interaction, and I've done it enough 
that my uh, EMR system, when I say refer patient to Dr. Lauren Redler, it actually comes out correctly on the uh, voice recognition. <laughs> I love it. And so has, has there ever been a patient that's come to your office that went to the wrong Dr. Redler? I don't think I've experienced that. I usually introduce myself as the other Dr. Redler. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, there, there, there's enough geography between us as well as a few years that it doesn't get that often confused. Yeah, no, I think that uh, I think that's fantastic. So, um, so you're you're done your fellowship at Children's, and you've decided, okay, I don't think I need to do another fellowship. <laughs> I'm going to go into clinical practice. Were you talking to Bill throughout the entire process? Was that the plan, or to go back to Columbia the entire process? Yeah, yeah I was lucky enough to you know begin that conversation with my mentors at Columbia Bellevue and Chris Amad, or, you know, kind of late in my residency career and establish that as the plan before going off to fellowship. Um, so I spent fellowship kind of honing a narrow niche area to be able to, to offer something back to the Columbia practice that they didn't have yet. That's awesome. And so how much of your time is spent doing adult sports versus uh, pediatric? I, my uh, practice is split about 60-40 with a little bit heavier on the adult side. And so, you know, it's interesting. So um, we, we talk about different generations of orthopedic surgeons, but we also, within the family, have different types of practices. You're in an academic setting. You're in private practice. So let's talk about that a little bit as to what the, the nuances are, the differences between those two experiences. Listen, private practice, as we know, is uh, our goal is to stay independent. It's to do great patient care is to be able to do our own surgery and uh, the, the trade-off is you work a lot of long hours and the trade-off also is that you have a, a daughter who is an academic orthopedic surgeon who's now better published and better known. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was by definition it was going to happen anyway. But no, how about in, in academics? I mean, let's talk about, we don't like the, the turnover time between cases or how many surgeries can be done in a day and all those there things. There are certainly pros and cons to both and I think this is one of my favorite topics to go over with residents as they're kind of envisioning their careers when they finally see the light at the end of the tunnel of their training journey. Um, but there are a lot of benefits in academic medicine of you know staying involved with teaching and medical student mentorship and resident education um, that I think are too good to pass up on. Yeah, no, and, and that's a great, it's a really great point because you know, you, you choose your path, right? You know, for me in particular, uh, I was like, I really want to be hands-on with my patients. And, you know, I, I decided if I was going to be involved in teaching, it was going to be through continuing medical education or otherwise. But it takes a lot of courage to be able to allow these doctors to train under you. They need to be able to, to also learn how to operate. They can't leave residency without having touched a knife and having the confidence to be able to guide them and mentor them through the process. It has to be challenging sometimes. Yeah, I can, I can think back to some of uh, my favorite surgeons that I operated with during my own training that uh, the ones that were best at it made you think that you were doing the surgery without you actually being the one that was really doing the surgery. And that's a, a really hard skill, I think, to master that I'm still working on. Yeah, no, well, good for you. And there's, there's only one way in which this continues, and that is we have to take the next generation and, and train them as well. Michael, he has to do it all himself. He, he just has to keep working on just like me, right? You know, uh, it, it is uh, the point in life where you say, hey, what is it that I do really well? And I feel for me, this is what I do really well. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think it's there's a lot to be said that as we age and as as our practice uh, practices develop, you know, you you start knowing less, you know, more about less. I, I guess is the best way to say it, right? You hone your skills to be able to to be truly an expert. 
I, I think that uh, part of the maturation of becoming an orthopedic surgeon is, again, it is that more narrow focus, but it's knowing what you do really well and continuing to improve upon that and knowing what someone else does better and make certain that that patient gets the best possible care with that person. Yeah, and it can be done in the academic center with you know, amazing professors who are teaching and, and, and professing, and it can be done in the private practice window as well. It just depends on the path you choose. So let's talk about another thing which I think is really fascinating. As, uh, for an old man, you, you actually keep up with it pretty well, which is you know, social media. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, I, I learn everything about social media from this other Dr. Redler. Yeah, and I, I think the ability to market and, and draw patients uh, is very different within the private practice model and academics. But not just that. I think that uh, there's just sort of a new, new way of thinking about how doctors can, can generate uh, new patients. So tell us about what your experience is. How is your practice developing? Is it word of mouth? Does Columbia help you? How does how does that roll out? Yeah, I think you know in this in this digital media age that patients you know how they consume um, digital media and where they how they get information on who they're going to see um, reviews are are everything. And so a system that enables that to be kind of automatic almost is the best to try to help other patients figure out who they should see. Yeah, is there a specific system that you guys use at Columbia? Um, we use something called Social Climb that um, I just recently started using in my practice that so far has been amazing at generating reviews for other patients to be able to find us. Yeah, and it's funny because one of the, one of the ways is the, is the Google review. Everybody wants Google reviews, but yeah, you got to yeah. have a Gmail account to yep, be able to yep. do that. Come on, Google. Make it a little easier for people to be able to use your site. That's just my own disclaimer. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you have to do that. But for the other standard things like vitals.com and all those other health grades, then yeah. the, the standard push-up. But I think that, you know, what do you think, Michael, as far as the social media and patient reviews and how you're generating patients? You know, it's interesting. I, I'm going back to your original comments, Scott, and said, you know, for an old guy, you keep up pretty well with the social media. It was a very artful way of both a compliment and insult all in one fell swoop. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> I just want to let you know it didn't pass over my head. <laughs> okay, well, both so, of our so mothers listen, are listening, so, so be So nice. listen, I, I think that uh, you need to let patients know what's going on in terms of new procedures in terms of new ways of taking care of problems you need to know what you let them know what you do well um, I think that it's interesting different sex of patients however will use it differently I know there's some of my patients who uh, you know come in by word of mouth and there's other patients who've googled every article I've written as such and you know sometimes I think an educated patient is going to be your best patient Sometimes it can also be the most challenging to make certain that you've checked all the boxes that they're looking for. I think that, you know, patients are very savvy nowadays. They have the ability with these supercomputers in their hands to be able to identify and speak to others. And so I think that, you know, being, being savvy about, you know, who you are and what your, your professional brand is, I think really does make a difference and it can definitely set people apart. Yeah, that makes me think of... Uh something one of my mentors uh, taught me during uh, fellowship was be careful what you publish about because you can be known for something that you don't want to be known for and all of a sudden be the you know, infection specialist or arthrofibrosis specialist from, you know, other, other uh, surgeons. Yeah, and Antonia Chen talked about that. She was like, became the infection doctor yeah. for total joints. You had to break away from that for sure. Talking about sort of women in orthopedics, tell us about your picture today. Uh, who was there? It was, it was an impressive group. You know, I think when you first start in orthopedics and you are used to being the only woman in the room at, at meetings, having everybody all together is an amazing sight to see. And I think there was 
minimum 60 or 70 women wow. in that picture. So we're definitely we're definitely growing. Yeah, that's fantastic. And Nancy Yen Shipley, who's one of our former guests in the 6% podcast, which came from 6% of the, of the specialty is women. And I, I have to feel that that's growing. And I'm sure you're doing a job mentoring and, and trying to identify additional future women in orthopedics. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Bill Levine has always been a huge proponent of, you know, diversity within orthopedics, not just women, but underrepresented minorities. And I think that Columbia has always done such a great job at having more than that 6% of, of women as residents and, and now as faculty. So helping helping that grow. Yeah, I mean, this is this is such a great story. I mean, this is what we do here at the Ortho Show. We bring truly remarkable individuals. And this story in particular is a father and daughter who have such great mutual respect for one another. And the process has really been a terrific story. We can't thank you enough for both being here today. Thanks for having us. Scott, I always, you're a gentleman. And uh, I don't know what city we're going to go to for the next broadcast, but I'll look forward to it. Thanks so much for having us here in Nashville. Oh, it is my pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time. <laughs>